0: At Federal, we have products for every season and every pursuit. Our passionate and dedicated teams design, build, and deliver the world's best American-made ammunition, whether you're hunting, target shooting, or defending yourself and family. Our pride and hard work can be found in every box, ammo can, or bottle of ammunition. For us, it's always in season. It's Federal season.
1: Welcome to Federal Ammunition's podcast. It's federal season, and I'm Julie Golub, your guest host for this episode. I am so excited. I've been looking forward to this conversation so much to be joined by personal defense, self-defense expert, Craig Douglas of Shipworks. Hi, Craig.
2: Hey, Julie. How are you? So glad good.
1: to see you. Yes, yeah, it's so great to see you virtually and all of that.
2: <laughs> right. right. I'm right.
1: going to... I want to read a little bit of your bio for everybody in case they don't know. Um, Craig Douglas, a.k.a. Southnark, is the founder of ShivWorks, a consortium of like-minded professionals Devoted to training and product development in the emerging field of interdisciplinary problem solving for self-defense. Craig retired from law enforcement after 21 years of service with the bulk of his career spent in narcotics and SWAT. Since 2003, Craig has been teaching globally under the ShivWorks brand and has conducted coursework on entangled shooting skills in nearly 40 states and nine foreign countries. He has taught for federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies, and to three branches of the United States military. That's quite the bio.
2: <laughs> Thank you. It's uh, yeah, I, I stay busy. You know, since I retired, I'm not really retired. This is a, this is a second career. So I'm on the road. Ooh, I've been on a road a minimum of uh, forty weeks a year since uh, wow. 2011. Yeah. Yeah, That's crazy.
1: You must love it. I mean,
2: obviously. I do. I, do. I love what I do. I love uh, having my autonomy. I love uh, not suffering employment. You know, I think you understand <laughs> that. And yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I work as much as I want to and I like to work. So it's a gift.
1: That's great. So... Jumping right into the self-defense aspect of all this, uh, FBI crime statistics state that one in four of us will be the victim of a violent crime in some point in our lives. And it's safe to say that these statistics are shocking facts, and they emphasize the point that violent crimes can infect anyone at any time, regardless of where they live or where they work. And some of the crimes captured in the statistics include assault, domestic violence, robbery, carjacking, rape and murder. So with these statistics, obviously uh, people come to seek out your knowledge and experience because of your background. What do you tell them when they come to a class if they, or if they're thinking about coming to a class and they're on the fence?
2: Sure. Well, the first thing I do is tell them that um, self-defense is interdisciplinary and we have to look beyond just a handgun and you'll hear me say that I like to have people get to the skill level of a USPSA grandmaster. Uh, I like to see them have the hand to hand proficiency of a guy that fights in the UFC and then the verbal agility of a good stand up comic. And people <laughs> when they when they hear me say that they're like, "Huh?" And and here's the reality of it. Self defense is interdisciplinary and, you know, a well placed word Uh, or a misplaced word is as potent as a well-placed shot or a misplaced shot. So um, I think all of this stuff has to work together. And one of the things I try to tell people, uh, you know, you you may look at my class and the coursework as an audit. You may find after spending a weekend with me that, you know, maybe you don't need to spend as much time on the range. What you need to do is lose like 30 pounds. Or maybe (laughs) if you're really fit – um, but you're socially awkward, maybe what you need to do is go join Toastmasters and uh, learn what it's like to you know, impromptu address a large group of people just so you're a little bit more fluid in your delivery and you're not stammering over words or misspeaking and potentially creating problems. So um, I'm also a real big fan of uh, people who carry guns having a high level of social literacy. So uh, I'm a huge fan of you know, hey, if you're scared of homeless peoples, you know, or people, maybe what you want to do is go work in a homeless shelter and see what those people are like or go to an autism camp, you know, so you can look at what those kids are like. But I'm a real big fan of people having high social literacy and high verbal agility if they're going to carry a gun in public space.
1: No, that's, that's a, a great point. I think a lot of people... When they look at your social media, for example, or they have heard of you, obviously they know of ShivWorks and they think more of the entangled shooting skills kind of thing and the the hand-to-hand stuff, but you actually dig so much further into all of the the realms of self-defense, um, so what do you, what do you tell people who are not expecting that <laughs> when they come in, they're expecting well, to just be roughing and toughen it on the
2: ground? Exactly. Well, that's a lot of people, you know, when they make their introductions, they'll say, Hey, I'm uh bill. I know I'm going to get beat up and, uh, I'm just here to hopefully, hopefully I'll survive. You know, and it's something like that. Cause, cause the only things that typically go on social media are the evolutions. We're got, we're, we're validating the content at the end of the day. You know what they what they don't see typically on Saturday is the ten hours and fifty minutes of training that led up to that, or the discussion on Friday night about um, what criminal assaults look like, how they develop, and all the things that we learn to keep it from getting there. And it's interesting that in the two and a half day course, extreme close quarter concepts, um, you know. The rest of the course really goes back, the rest of the course hammers home just how bad it gets and how important it is that we don't let it get to a rolling around and broken glass, whatever body fluids, horizontal and tangled gunfight, you know, and that's what I like people to reflect on. The course is both a course of instruction and an experience. You know, and it's important that it be an experience, and that's really what makes a, a lot of fundamental change. You know, my experiences in law enforcement, particularly as an undercover narcotics agent, really is you know the genesis of this coursework. I was robbed a total of nine times in two years, so you know uh, I, I understand what what crime looks like from the very visceral first person aspect.
1: Right. Wow, that's a, that's how much of your background do you think plays into the coursework itself and then how much of your other areas in life where you're learning the social skills, for example, I
2: mean, you know, um, I'll tell people all the time, especially when we're talking about trying to talk themselves out of things. I'll say life's a dope deal, and uh, people have wanted me to make that a t-shirt for a long time. <laughs> and, <laughs> hashtag life's a dope deal but but here it is you know a dope deal is really not about buying dope but it's about selling yourself so if you can sell yourself you can you can buy anything so you know uh whether that's me uh you know trying to talk to a you know high level business guy that i suspect is trafficking in people you know to uh you know uh corner boy, you know, selling $20 rocks of crack cocaine. I mean, I I dealt with a wide strata of people involved in various criminal activity, and you had to shift and adapt for every one of those, you know, Um, novel niche places like cars where we don't typically train. Um, You know, most people have never experienced or have any training modality to approximate what a gunfight in... Inside the, the driver's compartment looks like or what that even feels like or how to train for it So yeah, I had, I had a lot of unique experience and a long um, term Instructors. eye. I've been teaching martial arts since I was a kid I formally started as an Academy instructor in 1992 so that I've been training You know armed personnel formally for 30 years now. Um, so it, it, yeah, I think Between those two things, the the novelty of my, you know, uh, career path and what happened, and then just the, the, the instructorship that developed literally since childhood in motor skills, tactics and strategies, it it just invariably led me to where I am today.
1: Talk about the thousand hours concept.
2: (laughs) Yeah, right. I mean, and I tell people, they're like, well, how long you been working on this? And I'm like, how old am I? I'm 54 years. You know that's how long I've been working on this because the coursework does. I mean, it represents my life work. It uh, my life's work. It's it's not finished. It never will be, and I'm never satisfied. It's a living body of work. Um, so yeah, that's that's what it is. But yeah, it's a it's an interdisciplinary approach to problem solving while armed on uh, looking at some of the worst case scenarios that you could possibly be in.
1: That's great. So. The other thing that I think that uh, students would really, really appreciate to know is is your concepts around being prepared and your philosophy of being prepared for anything. Can you kind of elaborate on that?
2: You know, there are two words in the training industry that everyone thinks are verbs, awareness and mindset. You're not going to aware or mindset your way out of anything. So looking at at physical training, physical training. Awareness drills to help you understand things like proxemics, um, how language affects. For example, you know the difference between uh, opening dialogue with someone and saying something with a defined objective, like halting their approach. So if I'm being a, if I'm being approached by a stranger in a sketchy place. And I'll walk people through this. I'll say, what should I do? Right now, I'm in a dark parking garage. I see someone, because we've had the discussion about awareness, and essentially it relates to vision. And they're approaching. I don't know what their intentions are, but I've already done a demonstration of what the implications of them getting into average conversational distance would be if they initiate on me at close range. And... um, you know, I'll, I'll ask, and I do a lot of kind of Socratic stuff like that. But I'll ask, hey, uh, what should I do right now? This person's approaching me. I'll usually have somebody that's working with me just start walking towards me. Will you say something? Okay. You Acknowledging. Okay. What what should I say? Hey, just ask him what's going on. Just ask him, hey, how are you? Okay. Let's try that. Hey, what's going on? And I'll have the, because I know what people are going to say because everybody does this. And I'll have the person still walk right up on me and like, what's the problem with that? Well, you're, you're initiating a conversation and, and right now this isn't a conversation. What are you trying to do with your language to begin with? You're trying to halt their approach. So whatever you say should support that. And we go into a, a whole bunch of stuff like that. So little changes to behavior to create essentially uh, a strategy template for maintaining a little bit more distance than is the social norm without appearing too awkward. Right. And, that, and, and and it's it's a three-pronged strategy of how we move, what we say, and, and the things that we do with our hands. And, again, when people try this for the first time, it looks very contrived. But as they practice it, and it requires physical practice, just like anything, they get better at it. And it's a little bit more, you know, um, it's a little bit more nuanced, a little bit less observable, but it's still very effective. So that's that's one of my first things on on preparation and preparedness is physical practice of soft skills.
1: No, that's great. That's 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 fascinating. I think that, you know, with everybody seeing what they see on the Internet, seeing what they see on social media and looking at just snippets of of information that are thrown in front of their faces, that they really aren't looking at self-defense in the way that you look at it. Um, I wonder, you know, what would you say to someone who is, is not sure if self-defense training is for them, the average guy or girl out there who's like, ah, you know, I can, I can shoot okay. And I'm never going to be in that situation. What would you say to them?
2: Well, I'd say, you know, picture your worst case scenario and then try and, and, simulate that that's one of the things that I do is we do these simulations that are unscripted and they are you know full contact with protective gear and the accountability of marking cartridges and what what we see very consistently when we test is and it's not a definitive test it's a rough test you know and it's still a simulation and and you know some people will fall back on their ego and and say, well, in the real world, I black, you know, (laughs) But um, you know, even in a, even in a simulation, people don't, people don't do well. And, and if I hear something like that, I say, well, how do you know, how do you know that you're prepared? Do you test? And that's what the court, you know, as much of a course of instruction, uh, it is a test and an audit. Yeah, well, I've I've had people training with me now annually for 20 years, and they come That's back funny. every and they come back every year. I mean, I, probably half of the people that come into classes are, are alumni, um, and they come in because they want to test. It, you know they're a year older, they're either you know leaner or fatter, you know they're either more or less skilled. They've been training, they haven't. But they want a test, and and it's a whole different group of people. So um, I, that that's what I would say to someone who said, "Well, I'm pretty good here. Why well, do you know? How do you know? How do you, you know, shooting a B eight, or or whatever, you know, is is that enough of a test for you?" And and at this point, Julie, to be be quite frank, I mean, I I don't. I don't advertise. I don't I don't try and, you know, sell people on what I do. I mean I've got more business than I can handle. So I you know I
1: I, good problem to have. (laughs) Yeah, it
2: is. It is. I mean between open enrollment and gov, I mean I you know, I'll probably be on the road forty six weeks, what's like this year. Um, That's that's amazing. And every class book's full with a wait list as full as full as the class. Um so and that's which is another thing too. It's really nice is that everyone that enrolls has made that decision, and it never really puts me any longer in a position of having to advocate for what I do. You know, right. which is um, somebody needs to do that. I'm just not. I'm just not there anymore. I, I the, the convincing people to protect themselves. You know, I mean you. You have to figure out your own self-worth, you know, what are you, what are you worth? And it may not be, you know, and it may not be anything intrinsic. You know, somebody may not really care about that until here's another one that I've seen, and I'm sure you've probably seen this too. When somebody becomes a parent, all of a sudden it gets real. When they have little ones, they're like, uh, you know, uh, maybe we need to get some fire extinguishers extinguishers in the house. Maybe, uh, Maybe we need to, maybe we need to get a gun. You know, and, and 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 that's where it starts, right? It's not, it's not even about protecting themselves, but now that there is a child in play, well, the game has changed. So I, I never know what the motivator is, but you know, by the time they get to me, they're motivated because I mean, there's an there's enough video on the internet of that I've posted uh, of me teaching. That students have posted. I mean, it's a fairly easy and I am a fairly easy person. I do podcasts all the time. So people can get a good sense of me and how I talk and who I am. So, uh, they can make an informed decision, you know, I mean, because these things are expensive, the course fee, travel, lodging. It is. It's huge. It's huge. You know? So, and, and I hate wasting someone's time and money. And I, Absolutely refuse to do that. That's the first thing I say when we start a class on Friday evening is, hey, you know, I know a lot of you, you know, uh, the course is expensive. I know a lot of you went to extra trouble to get kids taken care of and, you know, board dogs and travel and book a hotel. Everything's expensive right now. So I'm going to do my best to make sure this is time and money well spent. And that's how I start every class because it's a huge investment.
1: Absolutely. One of the things that um, stood out from what you said a little bit ago is the fact that you have these reoccurring students. And I think a lot of people, especially in the CCW world, or just general shooters, they think that once they've taken a class, maybe they've taken their concealed carry class or whatever, that, they, that they've learned all the things. <laughs> and, it, and you could go back to the same instructor, whether it's you know a top USPSA shooter, someone like yourself, or even in a different realm, and learn something new with the same
2: material. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. You never get it the first time around. Yeah, there's so many layers to, I mean, you know, my coursework has been fairly fixed for quite some time. And there are still things that I'm figuring out about what I teach and how I teach. You know, I still don't feel like I've hit the bottom of my own curriculum. So, you know, if I feel that way about it, I mean... Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, there's still quite a bit there. And, and that's true with anybody. That's yeah. true with anybody that has a, a, a fairly deep body of work and, and a lot of time that they put into it. So uh, 100%, you can go back to the same class. You know, that whole thing, and I know you've heard this, is I think, it's, I think it came from the medical community, you know, uh, watch one, do one, teach one. People translate that over to... You know, training, and that, that, it's just not. Uh, that's just a. I hate it when I hear that. I've heard <laughs> several. I've heard several doctors say that. You know, watch one, do one, teach yeah. one. And that's considered good enough, and no, it's not. You know, yeah. no, <laughs> not to be
1: great. No, no, no not,
2: again, not to be great. And yeah. and that's the which leads us to you know, what's good enough? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what good enough is.
1: So, before enrolling in a course at ShivWorks or elsewhere, um, what should students, regardless of their age, what should their mindset be when you know getting into the stepping into the room for the the meeting, the or the range or whatever?
2: Um, long days. <clears throat> so the class, like uh, extreme political concepts, Friday night from six to ten, Saturday from eight to seven. Sunday from eight to seven. Um, wow. And there's really no downtime. You're busy the whole time. And the, the latter part of the two full days from, cause I usually finish up with the live fire in like three hours, uh, roughly. And, and it's a, it's a low round count course too. It's, it's 220 rounds. I, I tell people, uh, extreme close quarter concepts is not about me teaching you how to shoot but adapt shooting to very specific niche problems entanglement crowded and confined space and, it, and mm-hmm. it's very dialed into that. I'm not there to diagnose your marksmanship, or your gun handling, or make you a better orthodox shooter. That's not what I did. There are right. people who do that way better than me. You you included. So, um yeah, um so that takes about 3 hours on each day. We'll do a hard hour, absolutely no more. And then the next 7, 12 to 7, that's spent uh, learning a, a base of wrestling and jiu-jitsu um, that goes into application of the pistol standing and ground, and ends with the validation exercise where we put on the helmets, the gloves, punch each other in the face, shoot each other with T-guns and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a hard grind. Of yeah. uh, seven hours of uh, work and testing at the end of the day, it's scalable, and I don't expect a uh, you know fifty-year-old mom to do what a you know twenty-five-year-old you know BJJ freak does, a you know, Brazilian <laughs> jiu-jitsu guy. Right. And, and the oldest guy I've had to do had do the coursework was seventy-four. Oh wow. And he gave just as good as he took. That dude was tough. He so won- I, I,
1: I wonder, like, you're seeing this range of age, um, possibly even disability, and also women. I mean, the idea of for many women to go to a course where someone's actually going to touch them or hit them or grapple with them is, is kind of terrifying. What would you say to them?
2: I usually get, it's interesting, I usually get uh, two or three girls per class. The most I've had in one class of 20 were seven.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> That's serious.
2: <laughs> they, they. What's interesting, too, is most of them have a fairly serious assault in their background. Most of them. A lot of them have been through self-defense training deep down that they knew didn't work and they knew was fake, you know, and I've had, and they were angry in the aftermath, you know, and they, they've told me, they said, this looked like, you know, I watched videos of the evolutions. That's what we call the validation exercise at the end of the day. And it looked like what happened to me. And it scared me. And it brought this reaction about. So I figured this is where I needed to go. And if I break down in tears and I need a break, um, I hope you guys are okay with that. And we absolutely are. And that happens all the time. So not only with, with, with women, it's it's probably, it, well, not probably, it is more common to see them as victims that come into the course. But I mean, we, we, we get guys who, who have a fairly severe, authentic reaction to the train. It's very visceral. It is. It's difficult. Nobody wears a cape. Um, all Shiv works coursework fundamentally is a very, very public exercise in vulnerability. Yeah. And that's, the price of admission, and um, you're either okay with that or you're not, and if you are and you hear, you know, you do your due diligence and you think, okay, well, he seems like a a safe guy to go experience that with, then then we can get him through it. I mean, I've cried my eyes out with plenty of people, man, just hearing their stories in the aftermath. It's very cathartic in a lot of ways.
1: And rewarding, too, that you're, you're there to help them in the future as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We have a huge support network. You know, when somebody – it's interesting when somebody, you know, makes that awful sound, when somebody just sinks their weight on their chest, you know, and they feel that gun being torn out of their hands and that, that, that helpless sound, everybody, no one – Giggles at that sound because everybody, the, the alumni especially, they've all been there. Yeah, they've all been there, and yeah. and part of my job is making the wheels come off somehow, some way for everybody. So, and that's what I do,
1: and very well. <laughs> with with the surge of new gun owners out there, how important is it for them to have the basics of self defense regarding handgun usage? In that worst case scenario, because we're, we're seeing a lot of people will just go to the range and, and you know, maybe, you know, shoot at a, a bullseye style target, maybe hit something that's eight inches at four or five yards and and call it a, a day. But what would you say to those new gun, gun owners out there?
2: I, I would say that, that that a firearm is an incredibly effective problem solving tool in a very narrow window of problems. And what's interesting when we do a full spectrum exercise and everybody has a turn, That, 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 that it's usually a three-person exercise Um, where I'll have one person approach the CCW holder and I'm holding back a second person and I make it and I choose whether to or not release them. And it can go anywhere it can go. Sometimes Um, I will call the evolution without a gun being drawn or a shot being fired. Sometimes uh, it'll be a fist fight where uh, there is no gun presented because a gun didn't need to get presented. Sometimes people will draw preemptively uh, before there's any physical contact. Sometimes there will be a gun drawn after physical contact. Uh, Sometimes guns are drawn and fired uh, when they shouldn't be, sometimes they are... uh, Never drawn when they should be, and they're late. Um, sometimes we send that second person in, and that person is allowed to be part of the CCW's solution or part of the problem, or they can just be co located. So, but what's interesting is when we run these scenarios, I'll typically ask everyone at the end so they've just watched 20. Simulations it takes me about three hours and fifteen minutes to run on average. Um, I'll say, look, and, and and I'll go through all those things that happened, and I'll ask him, in how many of these scenarios was marksmanship a factor in a definitive win or a definitive loss? You know, and now correlate that to how much time you spend on the range when you need it, you need it. Okay. But here, but here's the thing with all these other problem solving modalities, you know, there's no, there's no dot torture. There's no El Presidente. There's no five by five to learn good interdisciplinary decision making. And I tell people, look, if you think shooting, colored squares circles and and rectangles with numbers in them is decision making against a living breathing thinking human being with an opposing will and possibly malevolent and intent in a scenario that's ambiguous no you need people for that you need people to learn that skill so um that's what i would tell people is that look if you're if you're gonna take the responsibility of carrying a gun in public space. The onus on you is to be as proficient as your lifestyle allows you to be proficient as far as time, but your proficiency in all these other problem-solving modalities, there should be parity. I mean, if you're going to carry a gun, you should be physically fit enough to retain a gun. And You should be able to talk your way more than ever out of confrontations and have the social literacy and verbal agility to do so. And I understand that, you know, the gun is the great equalizer fundamentally, and it does give an advantage to people who are physically smaller and weaker and older. Okay. That's, you know, why it's fundamentally it is the great equalizer, but You know, more and more, I think, and you'd probably agree, Julie, that that, that's really not, historically, that's true. You know, the story of little old lady that, that fends off a bad guy, you know, but more and more, we see a lot of, I don't know, cavalier gun ownership and carry, I think, based on what people think is happening in the world versus yeah. what's actually happening you know? Yeah. So
1: no, it's interesting, like with even, you know, as a competitive shooter, not a self-defense oriented instructor or shooter or anything like that, I, you know, the the skills that you have, gun handling skills that you develop from competition are very valuable. And a lot of people don't practice those things because they're just going to their square range and they're, you know, or their, their lane and they they're pick up their gun with one or both hands in a strange way, nothing's consistent. I'm curious um, how much of gun handling skills and handgun training techniques are incorporated into the, the class sessions.
2: Well, again, all the manipulations are very focused on the problem. Mm-hmm. Here's what I will see though. I will see, I will see, I hate to use the word a training scar because it's so overused, but I will see things come out in fights that are misplaced that I know are a result of overlearning. For example, a tap rack. Right. Endlessly. You know, how many times do we see people just really spending a lot of time on tap, right? Well, I will see a person exit a, a clinch or work their way out of a ground fight with a sim gun, click, look at the gun and sit there and endlessly, in the meantime, the person, you know, recovers, is beating them, taking their back. And then it turns into this, and and they're still trying to do this versus fight for position. I call it a metronome because that's kind of what they're like tick 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 like a metronome going back and forth because they're so locked into that cycle. If I could just get the gun, it's not a gun problem anymore. It's a it's a positional problem now. It's a I don't have initiative problem. You know there there are all kinds of things. So I will see. Overlearned gun manipulations like that come out at the worst possible times because I think they've only been learned and trained in you know a range-based environment versus you know the context that I'm offering you know which is right. which is really interdisciplinary and, and it's interesting too because we all we all know this like back in the day we used to call it tap rack bang. Well, we quit doing that, right? Well, maybe we don't want to always bang at right. the tap rack. So I think it turned into tap rack assess, and then it just turned into tap rack. Right. I mean, dating myself, you know, 30, 35 years ago. <laughs> but still, in all. Um, so we know this kind of in our minds that, that overlearning out of context. Can, can create problems, but um, I do see that. I do see, um, you know, over-learning and manipulations. I, I see that come out. Appropriate extension. One of the things I teach when I talk about the horizontal line of presentation uh, from three to four is I, I define four as appropriate extension based on proximity of threat. So the horizontal line of presentation from the time it's established is constantly adjusting to stay outside of arms reach. And that sounds like a simple thing. But again, because every most every presentation from the holster, probably 99% of them has been to your irons or your dot, whatever you're shooting, we'll see that come out, right? And after a 30-second fight. A guy will finally exit, have his gun in hand, boop, and throw it out there. And if the the guy's not down yet, you know, the rounds are peripheral hits and dude is still in it. Bam, he's right on top of the gun. And, you know, we're back into fighting over the gun again. All because of that one simple little piece of scar tissue, that bit of overlearning. you know. So I I see that come out. I did. And, again, I think a, a lot of this is, you know, Firearm skills not being contextualized. I think as early as possible in a person's education, ideally, they're doing interactive training. It doesn't necessarily have to be high impact, but it needs to be interactive. I don't care if it's blue guns. But mm-hmm. They need to learn how to interact with people and guns and talking. I'm very critical of law enforcement, okay? They, as, a, as a population compared to citizens, armed citizens. Armed citizens tend to be fitter. Armed citizens tend to be better shooters, okay? However, most cops manage chaos and talk while armed better than any other population because that's what they do every day. And they deal with right. a wide variety of people with all kinds of problems. So. Um, I don't see citizens with that skill, the the chaos management skill while armed, you know thing. I don't see them do that very well. I think citizens do well when things in the real world, and this the the what I've been able to look at anecdotally, it, it seems to be that when they do well, it's a fairly simple problem. If you add any kind of ambiguity to it they really don't they have to figure things out if they're not sure if it isn't just bad guy gun boom you know um that's where it starts getting wonky that's where it kind of starts sliding off the rails yeah
1: Still, I mean, obviously, a handgun is a, an incredible tool for self-defense, and you should train with it, obviously, obviously. Yeah, even if you're doing a few tap racks every now and again.
2: Absolutely. absolutely. It's, yeah, and it, and, it's just, and, and it leads down to a rabbit hole, right? It's like, okay, well... Yeah. Craig's telling me I have to do all this other stuff now. and
1: Yeah. Speaking of other stuff, (laughs) let's talk about knives specifically because this is another area that you are extremely knowledgeable in, especially with these entangled situations. Can you talk about the role of, of a good knife in a fight?
2: Yeah. Fundamentally, knives are the worst physiological incapacitators we can carry. What they do is they come out when we can't get to a gun, we're, we're not carrying a gun. Uh, we've lost our gun. It got tipped out of a holster in a fight. But knives make space. So I have a binary instinct state that I teach as far as what you're trying to accomplish with a blade. Essentially, uh, what a blade does is get someone off you, and then it keeps them off of you. It gets you to something better at inducing a physiological stoppage like a handgun or gets you to beaten feet. That's what it is. But knives fundamentally make space. And you'll hear, you know, probably of anything in self-defense, um, knives tend to be, the knives and the people who teach knife work, they, they probably tends to be the least empirical and the most fetishistic, you know. It, there's some there's some strange people that teach knife work. There are. I'm not gonna lie. That uh, so would be one of them. You know? <laughs> but still, in all, um, you, you'll hear it's all over the map as far as what people recommend you do with knives. You'll hear people say, "Hey, if you hit uh, the, a spot on the human body the size of a quarter, you'll induce a, a predictable physiological effect." Uh, others say, "Hey, the best way to use this is exsanguination, bleeding a guy out." So you target blood vessels. Other people say pain. Uh, some people believe that if you go after uh, connective tissue and muscle, that we can uh, incapacitate someone by disabling their limbs. You know, and and here's the thing: all those things can work, and all those things can fail. Um, and unlike wound ballistics, there's no science, there's no data that suggests that one way of using a knife is going to induce a physiological, you know, incapacitation any quicker than any other. So uh, the most stoppages with blades are psychological stoppages. Most of them are. And that's interesting because how do you predicate your method of use and delivery system with the adversary's willingness to quit. Mm. So you can't, right? Right. So really the best we have and, and and everything else is when I get a knife out, fundamentally, what I'm trying to do, and I don't care how it works. I don't care about the mechanism of injury. I'm trying to get this person off me. And if I can get them off me and they try to reattach, I'm trying to keep them off me or I managed to get a blade out before I get in it get entangled and I'm trying to keep them off. That's that's what knives do. The, it's a very narrow again, like a handgun to me, it's a very narrow you know uh range of problems that, that a knife solves. That being said, when you need it, you need it. You know, and the knives that that I've designed, you know you can get those out when you can't get anything else out.
1: Right.
2: You're not going to yeah, be able not to You're sitting there out.
1: flipping with your, your Swiss army in a situation.
2: Not, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, 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 the clench pick, you know, which is probably the best selling blade, uh, it's been in production 20 years now. Uh, but the clench pick came out of uh, a fight I had in a car over a gun, uh, where I got uh, wedged into the B pillar. With a guy's body weight on top of him, he couldn't get to my pistol. Um, didn't have good enough jujitsu, really, at the time. Didn't understand how the car worked. So, so the clinch pick and uh, the footprint and the way I wanted to carry them, space that it occupied, um, was my first attempt at at addressing that failure that I'd had um, in my undercover tenure. Was that that car fight over that gun? You know, so lost a little mm-hmm. hearing in this ear. You know, but got lucky, and the round didn't hit me. so
1: yeah, well, what a genesis of of everything that you've been able to build on from the 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 martial arts to the experiences that you've had working as in law enforcement into being an instructor today. Um, this has been an amazing conversation. <laughs> I've learned a lot yeah. um, before we go <laughs> i I want to know if you have. Any specific recommendations out there for those who are specifically learning how to get, to take the, the step into the cold water of learning personal and self-defense?
2: You know, I think the, the first step, if you have a family, is to have a discussion with them about it. That That's what I would do first. And if you're single, you know, I think you need to ask yourself is... Is this something that is fixed, or do I want to make this a lifestyle, and if so, how much? Because we all know those people who buy guns, and I'll make the fire extinguisher analogy again. They buy a gun, and like the fire extinguisher in the house, they put it up and kind of forget about it and may not even know where it is if they need it. Every now and then they'll look inside the you know, pantry and see it. Um, so there, there's that person. And then there's the person who wants to occasionally carry when they think they'll need it, you know? And, um, so they go through a CCW class and may occasionally carry. And then you get the lifestyle people who do carry on a regular basis, but don't do the training beyond CCW. And then you get those people to get into it. And I would say, you know, whatever degree, um, that um, you want to engage in this, you know, just make sure that your only way to solve problems is not with a gun. That's what I would tell people, you know, that that a gun, you know, it's not a rabbit's foot, it's not a totem, it's not going to ward off evil spirits, you know. Um, and again, you're, the onus is on you as much as you can. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna buy a gun and keep it in your house, well, you probably need to look at the locks on your doors. You know, it, it, can I look, can I kick your front door in and take whatever you have, including that gun? So there's a lot of responsibility that goes with a gun that's that's on the individual. I and mean, are you are you willing to incur that responsibility? To me, owning a gun is no different than owning a dog. I mean, really, if you may, if you make it, I mean, it's not sentient and living. But, but if, we, if we applied the same thing, that same level of care, you know, and thought about that, if you, if you really thought about that, all of a sudden, okay, now there, there's a whole bunch of things that come with the ownership of that animal. And there are a whole bunch of other things that come with the ownership of, you know, a gun besides just the gun and having it. So that's what I would say to people.
1: No, that's, that's great. So responsibility, philosophy, hand to hand, a little bit of everything.
2: some everybody style. Everybody. <laughs> we, I was just saying, we talk about, you know, fine men's wearing craft cocktails. So, we have, we yeah, have we'll have to do that the next time. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. But no, this has been such a joy. And I think our listeners are going to really see a lot of value in this. Really appreciate you coming on.
2: Julie, always, always time will spend with you, please. You know, uh, Let me know if I can do anything for you and uh, anytime you want me to come back and share time with your audience, I'd love to. I really appreciate the opportunity.
1: Oh, thank you so much.
0: It's a legacy 100 years in the making where American ingenuity met a trailblazing spirit. Hard work united with patriotism, technology blended with new ideas right here in Anoka, Minnesota. Born in 1922, made in America, proud to be the best. A century of innovation, and we're just getting warmed up. Welcome back to It's Federal Season and our technology segment, Tech Talk.
1: Welcome back and pleased to be joined by Mike Holm, Federal's Product Director for Handgun Ammunition. Hey, Mike, how are you?
3: Very good. Thanks, uh, Good to talk to you, Julie.
1: Oh, it's it's I'm excited because this is an exciting time with a new caliber and everything. We just finished chatting with Craig Douglas about the importance of self defense and what a great way to segue into Federal's new 30 Super Carry, obviously.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, it's been really great since we since we launched and and actually the uh, the product the the news got out a little bit earlier than we uh, we had hoped to um, just before Shot Show and. Uh, the buzz and the chatter and the debate and all of those things has been been really crazy since since that time and uh, it's been fun to watch and and uh, we've learned a lot through the process as well and uh, we're excited about this cartridge.
1: Yeah well it's it's been fun I've had the chance to shoot it quite a bit and and it's 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 a great cartridge to shoot um, especially on these smaller platforms but before we get too far into that i don't want to give anything out of the too much information away in case people are new to 30 super carry which i would be surprised but anyway um, can you tell our listeners more about 30 super carry and the gap that it is designed to fill
3: sure it's um it's actually a, a cartridge that's designed specifically for concealed carry and, and personal defense situations And, you know, there's been so many new shooters and new gun owners that have come into the marketplace over the last few years. Uh, So those that group, along with the the, uh, existing gun owners that are really driving this whole personal defense marketplace, we kind of took a step back and looked at it and said, you know, what are some of the things that are important to personal defense and concealed carry users, obviously concealment, uh, performance is always, always a factor. And then, um, you know, having capacity and more rounds with you um, when you're out and about. So we looked at the the existing, you know, cartridges that are out there and we saw 380 had its advantages. And nine mil, of course, is the dominant uh, player in the in the whole thing. And we said, you know, there's just a huge gap right there between those two. So Is there something we can do to kind of leverage the best of both worlds here and come in somewhere in between there? And um, what's really interesting is that we, through the development, what we actually found is that we don't have to go right to the middle. Um, We found a a cartridge in a platform, a a form factor of a a cartridge that gives us nine millimeter performance, but in a smaller form. So we can have more rounds in a magazine or gun manufacturers can design platforms that are a little smaller that still give you the nine millimeter performance. So we kind of kind of stumbled onto it a little bit as that, as that we were able to do more than what we actually set out to do.
1: That's great. <laughs> That's a great problem. <laughs>
3: yeah. It's, a, it's always a nice surprise when it works that way because it doesn't always work that way.
1: Yes. So can you break down for our listeners the specific features and benefits of 30 Super Carry?
3: Yeah, so it is a, um, it's a 312 diameter bullet, um, so it's smaller than what you would have in, in a nine millimeter. Um, but that allows us to have a smaller cartridge case. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, a round that we're running at a pretty high velocity. It's about 1,250 feet per second. So we get a lot of energy. We get a lot of um, performance out of that small package and so our our expansions our penetrations um, our energy levels are right up near near nine millimeter but we can do it in such a smaller platform that that we can have the 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 added benefits of more rounds in the magazine what we're seeing is two to three more rounds in the magazine depending on on the gun platform um and then we expect as the cartridge um you know moves on through time that will have more gun manufacturers on board and smaller platforms. So you can have the choice of more capacity or a smaller platform with that better performance.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I'm most excited about. Because with this new round specifically, the innovation of it is going to cycle into so much smaller handguns than we've seen with the power that and the performance that you mentioned. Uh, it's pretty neat. I, of course, uh, have a Shield Plus, and the capacity that you have with that, with the additional 30 Super Carry. We were just speaking with Craig Douglas about self-defense and personal defense, and for a lot of people out there, the I- mere idea of an entangled situation being able to reload their firearm is is a is a big challenge, or or even for people who may have some sort of disability, to have that extra capacity is huge benefit.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um. um you, you know, you you immerse yourself in in the market. You talk to to users, concealed carry um, users, um, instructors, all those. Um, Groups and, and capacity is something that is always something that comes up as, as you know, the less you have to mess around with trying to reload and all those things. Um, it's just it just the whole thing around it is confidence, right? And, and people want to be confident in, in what they're doing in a personal defense situation and concealed carry situation. And um, that's all part of it.
1: Yeah, and then also to carry yeah. something smaller and lighter. Who doesn't want that, right? <laughs> right.
3: Well, and that's the, the old saying, right, is it? it doesn't do you any good if it's not with you. Right, right. And, right. and the, the more convenient the platform is, the more likely you are to have it with you. And, and uh, that's the name of it.
1: Absolutely. So we have Federal, Spear, and Remington offering different configurations. Can you elaborate more on that?
3: Yeah. So on the, on the federal side in the, the defensive round, we have our HST product on um, Spear uh, Gold Dot. So between those two, the majority of, of law enforcement use either Spear Gold Dot or federal HST. So there's a great endorsement right there for the bullet technology and what it can do. And then we, there's a, a Remington HTP offering as well. in uh, in 30 super carry. So we've got those kind of three things covered from a brand standpoint. There's also some other manufacturers we've heard from on the ammo side that are, are looking at bringing some things out. And then we also have a lot of options for range ammunition. So American Eagle has an FMJ uh, target training round, blazer brass, uh, Remington UMC. So we've got those uh, covered as well. So a lot of different options from uh, from a carrying perspective, as well as a training perspective.
1: All right. And so your your personal recommendation time, what is the good balance between that range ammo and, of course, your HST or, or Gold Dot, your defense ammo? How sh- how should you practice? What you should you think about? What should you buy? That sort of thing.
3: Yeah, you know, one, you know, uh, I mean, there's a lot of different varying uh, thoughts and, and, and uh, opinions on this. But, you know, from a practice standpoint, you know, each time I would go to the range, I'd like to, you know, shoot what I have in my magazines of my of my carry ammunition. You know, get a feel for that. Then I, I know exactly how that's that's uh, responding to to my shooting performance and in, in, in my handgun. And then go through and use the training ammunition for the rest of the session. Um, so that's kind of how I think about it. You know, you shoot your magazines. You go to the range every month, every two months. You know something like that. Use that, and then train with the rest of it, and then load yourself back up again with uh, with your defensive ammo.
4: I
1: love the way you think. <laughs> well, thank you, Mike, for joining us. This is really important information uh, for anybody that's looking into practicing uh, and uh, perfecting their their self defense and awareness needs. And as of course, you know, they have a new caliber to do it. Thirty Super Carry.
3: Absolutely. Thank you.
4: It's a season with no beginning, or end, with bonds so strong, not weather or age. Where thousands of miles keep us from it. Our love for it is as varied as those who are addicted to its pursuit, a connection with the outdoors. With family, and your best friend. We plan with anticipation. We prepare, and wait, in silence. With tired legs, cold hands. We push on, all in hopes of hearing a call. that shatters the calm to see the approach of thundering skies and experience the instantaneous rush. For whatever your reason, this is our season.
0: Welcome back to It's Federal Season and the News and Notes segment
1: Welcome back to the It's Federal Season podcast, I'm your guest host, Julie Golub. Federal is still in its celebration mode on reaching the 100th anniversary milestone. Check out federalpremium.com merchandise for new apparel celebrating this achievement, or you can purchase a new company history book, Federal The First 100 Years. It is a beautiful, detailed book with great stories and visual highlighting the first 100 years. There are a couple of opportunities to meet the team from federal at upcoming consumer shows. Join us in Little Rock, Arkansas, July 29th through 31st for Delta Waterfowl's Duck Hunters Expo. The game fair is being hosted again, August 12th through 14th. And again on August 19th through 21st in Ramsey, Minnesota. And for the passionate deer hunter, Buckmasters is hosting their expo, August 19th through 21st in Montgomery, Alabama. Come join us at these events. Federal always has experts on site to talk about ammo selection, listen to your stories with federal products and have some great t-shirts and giveaways as well. You don't want to miss that. Thanks for allowing me to guest host with you all. I've so enjoyed it. If you want to learn more about me, you can visit me at juliegolub.com or on social media at juliegolub. And of course, if you like what you hear, please visit our podcast reviews and leave us your honest feedback. We'd love to hear from
4: you. Thanks so much.